Hey, welcome back to Reselect. This is Dave Gershman, and uh, you are here on the eve. Well, okay, let's let's backtrack here for just a moment. You're not here on the eve of anything. Well, you might be, depending when this comes out. But um, I'm recording this practically on the eve of the election, a couple days before, and uh, I'll just say I'm a little nervous. Um, hope things turn out well. You can probably guess which direction I'm hoping they'll turn out. If you've listened to this podcast at all, you should know that. Yeah, I'm going to say it right now, I sure as hell hope Trump loses. But, uh, you know, I don't feel confident enough in anything really these days to uh, to feel good about it yet. Going to have to happen before it happens, if you know what I mean. Anyway, I'd love to go on about how happy I am that he's not ahead in the polls and all that, but that's not good enough. You are um, here, no doubt, because you uh, listen to us all the time whenever we put out an episode, which are uh, a little few and far between, I realize, and I apologize for that. Um, Either you are tuning in because of that, or maybe you just saw the title of this episode, which was Pet Sounds by the Beach Boys. We will be discussing uh, our thoughts about the classic Beach Boys album, Pet Sounds. We tackled that one. And, uh, you know, some of you may be tuning in because you love the album, know it well, and want to hear what we have to say about it. But believe it or not, at least one of us, well, actually one of us, had never listened to the whole thing before. Can you believe it? Well, that's uh, that's the fun of this podcast, I think, is 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 seeing it from the perspectives of somebody who maybe has heard it many times in their life and another who maybe has never heard it before at all. I think almost all the albums that we talk about uh, have each of those perspectives built in. It's, uh, it is indeed a classic, classic, classic. It's, it's one of the, the albums that uh, often considered one of the greatest of all time. You know, it depends how you, perceived the Beach Boys, of course. If you only know them casually, you you probably should give this a listen because, you know, there's more to it than you might think from, uh, you know, just surfing USA and uh, California Girls and all that stuff. Um, Not that those aren't great songs, but it's a bit deeper than that. Anyway, this album has been known, was known to have inspired the Beatles, well, especially Paul McCartney and his single-minded pursuit of perfection on Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band. Uh, And this album, in turn, was inspired by the Beatles, uh, their Rubber Soul album. But I don't want to give too much away. Uh, There's all sorts of tidbits like that to be found in this episode. And you know what? Let's just get to it. Have a listen and uh, enjoy. We'll see you on the other side of this election. Next time you hear from me, we'll know what happened. It's kind of weird. Yeah. All right. Talk to you later. Have a good one. Bye. So, Davey, you're kind of growing your hair a little long on the back. Yeah. Are you going? <clears throat> on the back? On the back. It's all over. What are you yeah. talking about? Is it? Well, for whatever reason, maybe it's the, uh, the Is head... it doing something weird? Uh... <laughs> oh, no. Now you freaked <laughs> him out. I know. Now he's getting nervous. Well, that, no. Well, that's... that's <laughs> I, I'm kind of into just letting it grow out a little yeah? bit um, right now, but... I used to have it like that, but I, uh-huh. I, I... Well, it looks like you just got off of a motorcycle. <laughs>
Yeah, it's all um, kind of back. That's not really good. <laughs> no, it looks good, man. You don't have a helmet head. I'm, I, I'm, I'm mostly concerned about how it looks in the back because I can't really tell. So I know I always forget to look, and my my one of my hair stylists was like something something in the back of your hair, and I was like. Well, I don't know mm. what that looks like. She's like, you don't look at the back yeah. of your hair. <laughs> yeah. And I really immediately realized what, an, what a mistake I had been making. And I still forget most of the time yeah. to check. I mean, it's, it's hard. I, I have to pull out another mirror from somewhere and I don't know, whatever. Usually I don't care too much. But All right. So um, here we are back at Reselect. Uh, I'm Dave Gershman. Eric Green here. Sarah Wassel. Yeah, we're, in, we're, we're here today to... Do a little discussion about uh, the Beach Boys, Pet Sounds, the hubris. And, uh, yeah, uh, <laughs> I'm scared of talking about this record. Yeah, it's a big deal. It, it's a big undertaking. And I, you know, there's we might fail. <laughs> well, we're not going to fail. We've already started. We're talking about what? it. Done. Oh we God. did it. You we su- told me. we succeeded. Yeah, I mean, did you guys feel that way when we? When you were I'm a little, to a little it intimidated to by you saying that. Oh, really? Yeah. You're, you're making Eric nervous now. Yeah, it's like, holy cow. Oh, my God. Um, what am I, what have know, I gotten myself into? I, have actually, I actually chose this album for us. And it's, you know, historically, whenever I heard the Beach Boys, you know, there's a couple iconic songs by them, for sure, that, are, that I really like. But for the most part, you know, the high-pitched voice and uh, just the sound, it didn't really appeal to me too much. And trying to get into surfing at one point, uh, I thought, well, maybe I should think about the Beach Boys because that's what they're all about <laughs> and uh, and then you guys you two uh, are mm-hmm. like so fond of this <clears throat> album I thought alright let me give it a chance let me give it a shot and um, I'm afraid it still didn't resonate with me very much mm-hmm. there's, a, there's a couple songs on here that I like but I, I made a comment here I think I wonder if I'd like these songs a little more if it was another person's voice, a little lower voice. Mm. You know, an, you mean another six people's voices? Okay, because <laughs> this is like yeah. six part harmonies yeah. on all of these. Um, I do have a question for you yeah. about this um, because I I kind of discovered an interesting thing the other night. Um, did you listen to it on headphones at all? Yes, yes. Mm. I, did you I had my earbuds? Did you have a different experience headphones versus like playing it in the air? I can't say I did. No. Because I was playing it in the car the other night, and I realized that, first of all, I struggled a ton with understanding whether to listen to the mono or the stereo version of the Yeah, I, of I the picked album. mono. I did too, because that's the way they right. recorded it, and right. there's even a note on the record that said, this was, this is re- like presented in mono as Brian Wilson yeah. intended. Right. It's very mm-hmm. like right. serious. The stereo mix didn't come until many years later, so right. I figured, you know, let's listen to it the way it was released. and well, I was listening to it in the car and like it wasn't very loud. And I realized that when you can't hear the lushness of the sound of it, like when it's quiet, then you're kind of just getting mostly the falsettos of the voices. It does it a total disservice. Mm-hmm. Whereas like if you put on like immersive headphones or you turn it up way louder where you're really getting the sonic scope of it, to me, then it transforms into this like incredible. Every song is just this like mini symphony of parts that go together. Yeah, I you know I, I've listened to this album for a long time, and I and I listening more closely like this, I also kind of noted just it's it's got a very thin sound in a way that uh, doesn't come through very well. Like like you said on uh, anything but headphones, maybe yeah. Um, or you know, big stereo or something. But right, you know, yeah. If you, um, could, if you had something yeah. you could really crank up, right. Then I, I think you, yeah. right. 
Um, even no. that would probably have too much. <laughs> well, so this whole you, you lose a lot. Oh, I have so many things to talk about about this record. Yeah. I find the Beach Boys themselves such a strange. Mm-hmm. You know, like they started writing all those surfing songs, and then they started getting big on them, and the record company clearly like, okay, we know how to market you guys as this thing, even though we are showing you on the beach in long sleeve shirts. And we're never actually showing you swimming or surfing. Oh, You're just uh, like running around with surfboards. Only Dennis Wilson was an actual surfer. Totally. None so of them. None of them otherwise knew anything about surfing. Yeah. Just, so it's a very strange. And funny. then and then you watch like clips of them playing the songs on different shows mm-hmm. or whatever, and they're all wearing matching striped shirts, mm-hmm. and like. The music has their early stuff has such an upbeat vibe to it, but they're like barely really moving around and they seem very wooden. And it's just such a strange thing of like this music that is kind of exuberant and surfing is a very like messy, outdoorsy, fit thing in the sun <laughs> and you're tan and you're fit. And then here's these pale ass white, yeah, pudgy yeah. white dudes in a, in a, on a stage, you know, just kind of bopping along with their like super preppy look. It's such a strange well, and it, and it was a huge, I mean, they were hugely successful before Pet Sounds ever came out. I mean, they were making millions and millions of dollars for the record company already, mm-hmm. you know, because they had started in 62 and Pet Sounds didn't come out till 66. And in that time, they had like 20 top 10 hits. I mean, and, and you know, like Surfing Girls, Surfing mm-hmm. Safari, California Girls, Catch Wave, California Girls, Surfing USA, mm-hmm. uh, Fun, 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 I Get Around. <laughs> So I'll beat uh, girls, cars, and waves. Girl, man. girl, don't tell me. Helping Rhonda, Barbara Ann. You know, so they oh had my God. all these great, fun pop songs that were. I, I love them. I mean, they're but they're just they're lightweight. I mean, but they're so catchy and so yeah, classic. You know, but then they got to this point where, well, actually, Brian Wilson apparently in like '64 decided to retire from the touring. Touring, circuit. yeah, because it because it really made him super anxious, he, and he had kind of like a, a breakdown a little bit, and was like, yeah. "I'm done. I'm I not think doing he this always, anymore." He always had some mental issues going on from his childhood. His, their dad was very like oppressive, and and he may have had some like just chemical things going on too. I don't mean drugs. I just mean like well, also balances. drugs because well, apparently well, he did an industrial later, amount of LSD, yeah, which yeah, is and later, yeah, but. Um, yeah. So he, he had a lot of things going on, and it was taking a toll on him. And he took a, he decided to retire, retire from touring, and let the band do it on their own, and he would focus on songwriting and working in the studio. And the the album before Pet Sounds called um, the Beach Boys Today, I think it was called. That was the first one that they released with his this new setup, and it shows hints of what was to come with Pet Sounds. He gets a little more orchestral in a few of them. For me, the Beach Boys. Um, were a big part of my music life growing up. It's the first concert I ever saw. Oh, really? At Wolf Trap outside of DC when I was wow. like in second or third grade. So was I was this like, like eight or nine. Kokomo era. Oh or something? yeah. Oh god. And my main memories of that concert are the women next to me in bikini tops, just like going nuts, and my mom constantly just like side eyeing them, like just being like, I can't <laughs> believe they're behaving in this ridiculous manner. And we were pretty far back. So like we couldn't really see much of what was going on. I loved the Beach Boys growing up because we, my sister and I had like a greatest hits tape and we would listen to it and roller skate to it for mm-hmm. years, mm-hmm. like roller skate around the garage, around the driveway, whatever. So a bunch of, there's two songs from here that were on it, but I, I have like a, a nostalgia with their music that I can't, I don't necessarily listen to those songs anymore, the early stuff, Barbara Ann and like mm-hmm. Help Me Rhonda and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. But if I heard them, I don't 
hate them at all. I love hmm. them. But it's just not something I would turn to. Although I had some real fun listening to their music, those hits type music, the, the surfer rock driving my convertible around Chicago in the wintertime. Like when I got depressed and it was too cold and the winter just kept going, I would call a couple of my friends and blast the Beach Boys and we'd drive around with the top down and like all our winter <laughs> coats on. And it was really fun. Yeah. So Pet Sounds, though, I had never listened to really until yeah, you that picked was it, Eric. surprising because yeah. I, I thought Mm-mm. you said Mm-mm. you'd... Nope. Yeah, no. Fairly well, but. I, knew, I knew a couple of their later weirder songs beyond the Surf and Safari stuff, Good Vibrations and Heroes and Villains. But I'd never really listened to Pet Sounds, but I knew of it because it was my parents' date album. Like it was their romance record, which really loomed large in my head as I was listening to it recently. Because it's a very romantic, very sweet. I mean, there's a lot of stuff going on in it lyrically and and emotionally, but it is there's a very sweet date record, and I can really totally picture my parents like, you know, in the '60s in my dad's car, like listening to this very sweetly. I don't <laughs> want to imagine to, too hard because this is no. weird and terrible and it's like happy terrifying. days kind of stuff driving a little up bit. To the, yeah, a little bit. Driving up to get a yeah, shake and the burger. The, the, yeah. But then but then the beauty of it is that this album is way more intense and complex and nuanced than that kind of fifties vibe that their early music had. So Yeah, I definitely it's it's Brian Wilson getting into his in his own head sort of and uh Whereas he hadn't done a lot of introspective kind of stuff prior to that. I mean, you know, obviously most of those songs are just about having fun, you know, having a good time. And that's what they were selling, mm-hmm. you know, to the to the radio and record buying public. But the interesting thing is that, uh, or one of the many <laughs> interesting things about this, the, the lyrics were not actually written by, no, for the most part, by Brian Wilson. this is fascinating. Yeah. So he, he ran into this guy, Tony Asher... Uh, who was already oh, an right, ad man yeah. at a mm-hmm. very high-profile ad agency, and who wrote jingles for you know, and some well-known ones too. There was like Mattel and Barbie, or something. I oh, that's that is Mattel, but whatever. There was a bunch of well-known stuff that he was involved with, um, and I think they met in a recording studio when Tony was working on some jingles, and the Beach Boys were working on something else. And so he got into this conversation, and, and nothing came of it right away. But then when it was time for him to really start writing the songs that became Pet Sounds, he he thought back to that and got back in touch with Tony Asher and asked him if he'd like to collaborate on the lyrics. Tony Asher was like, well, flabbergasted, because, of course, the Beach Boys were already huge at this point, so he's like, why would you be calling me about this? You know. Mm-hmm. But, so um, so what ended up happening was that uh, they would kind of work in this, this way that Brian would kind of give him abstract ideas about what was like going on in his head. He wanted to like get this into a song form and... Tony Asher would kind of translate that into some mm-hmm. sort of more manageable song phrasing. And, and he, would, you know, sometimes he said he occasionally had some difficulty because it wasn't always a, a, a feeling he personally had had. So mm-hmm. those were the easier ones. And sometimes his own experiences came into the songs more equally with Brian's. But uh, I thought that was very interesting. And I think if you, if you, if you really think about the lyrics throughout the album, they are a little, a little bit like commercial. Well, uh, they're, they're a little, Bland almost, you oh, know. In I times. mean, they're very, they're universal. Yes. Right. right. I would say that going, instead right. of bland. And I adver- would say universal. Yes, that's good. Uh, in, in a way, though, that's very like clean, cleaned up and like presented very neatly, much like an ad would be. You know? Right. And, which and, I think is the brilliance. I think it's a like a mind blowingly brilliant conceit that that's how this, this album happened because you have Brian Wilson, who's this kind of like, 
you know, he doesn't like the word genius and what does it even mean, but he's got all these like really complex ideas in his head of what these songs mean and what they should be and how they should sound. And then to be smart enough to have met this guy and just immediately be like, Oh, I get it. He writes words for a living. He writes jingles. He can, he can just like, boom, succinct it. He can say the thing I mean, he can say it in a way that people understand. And he also said he had the knack of making people feel better. Like that's how Brian mm. Wilson thought of this mm-hmm. of of Tony Asher. Like he's good at putting things into words and he's good at making people feel good. And so like I kept thinking about this idea over and over again that he basically had a professional copywriter yeah. for writing his lyrics. Yeah. It's it's incredible. And then like in the songs they'll lean on these lines and draw out these lines that are just these really beautiful emotional sentiments in a lot of ways. And that's like the best thing ever. If you're listening to a song and there's this line you want to sing with just because musically it sounds incredible and beautiful. And then you realize what it's saying and it's such a pretty sentiment. It's a pretty thought. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you're right. It is prepackaged and maybe in some ways it is a little neat, but the contrast of that neatness with some of the kind of out there, emotions they're trying to describe and then the complex musicality of the songs Mm -hmm. and then the six person vocal harmony and then all the weird instruments like i think it all fits together in a way that works so well yeah well and i think i think brian wilson had also had already had previously been used to this kind of non-introspective kind of songwriting that he i think it was just hard for him to find a way to express his feelings his really deepest feelings in, Mm -hmm. in song form without it being all over the place. And I, it'd be pointless in a way to think about it. But I mean, like if, if he had not brought yeah. in Tony Asher, like yeah. what would these songs have, how, right. how would they have turned out lyrically? It just, right. uh, it might've been a mess or maybe it would have been fascinating in its own. Right. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's a, that's a universally impossible yes, question. Exactly. To answer, it is. Right? I know. Like, it's just, is it, it just, well, and then, it, but then it leads to another interesting question too, is like, is great art inevitable or is it an, product of circumstance all the things clicking into place like a like a a clock you know Mm -hmm. or is it just like Jimi hendrix was so good that no matter what he did musically it was going to be amazing it might not have been what it was Mm -hmm. but it could have been it still would have been that level you know right right and well i i think the the fact that they met up by chance to begin with kind of just lends itself to the realization that masterpieces or great things or whatever can are large part of his luck you know just mm-hmm. uh, mm. it, i think luck is a false thing i think it's opportunity and preparation like i think Maybe brian wilson i don't even think it's that because i feel like saying luck or coincidence implies that there's some kind of mystical magical like happenstance but i think if you have brian wilson who's got it in his head that he's kind of like coming up to this big project he wants to do and clearly like the scope and how much time they took over these songs. Like, you know, talking about other albums, like the faces where they just record it in a couple of days, but this was like, it would take them a week to do one song, you know? Like, I think Mm -hmm. I see it just more as Brian Wilson being like, okay, I have this huge immense project in my head and I can see the scope of it. And Oh, he's right there and he'll be great for that. Now I don't have to think about that part anymore. And if it wasn't this fellow, it would have been somebody, it would have been someone else that would have fit in a different way, but kind of helped the thing that he realized he needed someone else to be doing. Yeah, no, you're, you're you're definitely right. But I, I I think what I'm getting at is more just like the, the actual end result that we have in our hands Mm -hmm. is a product of some chance things. You know, it would sure. have been maybe it would have been amazing anyway, mm-hmm. but it would have had different lyrics yeah. clearly if he hadn't run into this guy and met up with him. You know, I'm just saying the the end result is a product of various 
Well, yeah, because that's what things, life is, chaos. Well, exactly. It's the I, of chaos. I know. Uh, well, yes, obviously. Life. I don't think we're saying anything different. No. But somehow we no. sound like we're arguing. <laughs> no, we're not. We're not arguing. <laughs> I had friends in a band together, and the, the drummer was like a more just kind of straightforward dude, and the, the bass player and this lead singer guitarist were like, had been friends since childhood. And he said that the drummer told me their rehearsals would just constantly spiral where the the other two dudes would start getting into an argument and they would argue for like an hour and a half. And the end, it always was like them realizing they were saying the same thing just yeah. differently. Yeah. <laughs> but as far as like the music in Brian Wilson's head, I mean, he, I think genius is not too strong a word because, and that's uh, almost so the whole album was recorded with session musicians, the wrecking crew, the wrecking crew, mm. like all these people who are on so many hits from the sixties. And the list is enormous. Mm-hmm. So many people. On yeah. So many but people. Like Hal Blaine on drums. He's like one of the, the classic and Carol Kay, the mm-hmm. bass player. She is just like such a badass. Yeah. And she's, she's like one of the most amazing bass players in the history of music. And the fact that she was a woman at the time was so unusual. Mm-hmm. And she came up with so many of these great things, you know, in pop music are her inventions. Like, I believe the bass line in My Girl by The Temptations, that was her hmm. thing. So, anyway, so I mean, she uh, she had so much influence in this, and there was several others who were just same same kind of thing. But they were all seasoned professionals, you know, by this time already. But they all are quoted as saying that uh, Brian Wilson just they all call him a genius because he just had these things going on. They would tell him exactly what he wanted, and it was like perfect every time. It was just it's like. Oh my God, I never saw it that way. And you could also easily imagine some musician thinking he knows a thing or two about arranging, sure, sure. arranging session musicians. And they're like, what are you talking about? You know, this is mm-hmm. a stupid idea. Especially because these people were seasoned professionals, right. like you said. Exactly. Right? Yeah. And, and they, so they know what they're doing and everything he would bring to them, all these ideas that he would have. And he would like hum or whistle things that were just going through his head and they'd pick up on it. And he was just, he was really good apparently communicating these ideas to them. And he would just do it again and again and again until mm. they, it was just what he imagined it to be. Hmm. So. Must have been all that LSD. <laughs> he, he wasn't constantly in LSD, but he did take some trips. I apparently think it was that, starting ish. Yeah. Well, I think more came later, but he'd already tried yeah. some because mm-hmm. it, it affected a couple of songs in particular. Uh, I don't know if that expanded his ability to, to hear all this stuff. I, I don't know. I read I, something about it. Making him feel that he could see the sounds or something. Oh, as a synesthesia mm. thing where you, God, I wish I you, could you see sounds as mm-hmm. colors. I think I think he has said that he's got a bit of that. One other little historical note that I like to think about is uh, the fact that when the album was finished, they had uh, some listening parties uh, in England, mm. and the Beatles mm-hmm. were invited. And Lennon and McCartney came, and, and many others. But um, apparently, they were. They they asked them to play it again as soon as it finished the first mm-hmm. time. They were just really impressed. And they immediately went back to uh, McCartney's apartment nearby and added the intro to Here, There, and Everywhere mm. on the revolver because they wanted to have this, like, Pet Sounds intro to it. Hmm. And, oh, like uh, in the studio? Yeah. And, mm. uh, and, and when you hear that song, I totally hear it now. It never occurred to me that that was a product of that influence. But it's just like this lush kind of like mm-hmm. intro, and then the song kicks in. Um, but of course, Sergeant Pepper was the big that's result. The, that's the 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 biggest it, like yeah. legend about this record, right? Is that it inspired the Beatles to write Sergeant Pepper? Yeah, right, exactly. Right. Yeah, oh and, yeah, yeah. And also, yeah. I think there's some some I've read a couple places that it was like the first real concept album. Mm-hmm. Are you saying Pet Sounds or yeah, Sergeant, Pet Sounds? Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, I guess you could say there's a or one of the first biggest or something like that. No concept album, just like album as a whole. Yeah. Instead of like this previous kind of strategy of like a couple of singles and then more songs. I think the Beatles started that with, with Rubber, Rubber Soul. Soul yeah. and, and that was apparently the album that really inspired Brian to do this. Mm. He was, he's quoted as saying that that was like mm-hmm. his real inspiration of like, oh yeah, I got to do something like that. And he took it a whole step further, of course. Yeah. And then this competitive, friendly, competitive kind of thing going on with Sgt. Pepper was the result of that. And then... Brian Wilson started doing Smile, but broke down before he could ever finish that, and the rest is rock history. But Ooh, and um, one one note also I would like to point out, jeers for Capitol Records, because mm. they finished Pet Sounds and they were ready to put it out, and they were like, oh, they just didn't know how to market it, Yeah, because the Beach Boys were like the surfing band, and so the same time they released Pet Sounds, they put out a greatest hits volume one of the beach boys music which outsold pet sounds mm-hmm. yeah it competed with competed the, with yeah. their own record and then the whole like marketing vibe they they didn't know the record company didn't know how to market pet sounds as a record so they just like took them to the zoo and took pictures of them with a bunch of goats <laughs> yeah. which has nothing to do with the record and right. is super corny yeah. and like there's some funny stories come about, on man about the animals too that the, the the band they hated this one goat who was just like Butting them all the time, oh, and Black they Phillip. they just had this worst. Was it Black Phillip? I don't know what Black Phillip is, but <laughs> you guys need to see the witch. Oh, I did see the witch. Black Phillip. I, I forgot that that is was what it was. The goat. Oh, no, I don't think it was the same. There's, there's no black goats in the picture. No, it's no, all no, white. no, no, no. <laughs> so they may look like they're having a fun time feeding them, but apparently it was a nightmare of a photo session. But yeah, man, goats so, goats have their own mind. They're yeah. not here for you. <laughs> and there's kind of an amusing picture within this uh, insert. Of, the, of a giraffe behind him. They're like, yeah. So, so antithetical. It's such to a yeah. bummer, man. Surfers. It should have like, <laughs> yeah. you think about like the cover of revolution or a revolver or the cover yeah. of Sergeant Pepper. And like, they deserved a conceptual like psychedelic right. kind of something. Cause think of the vibe would be so different if you're looking at this versus something like right. that. Well, and the funny thing is that, um, well, revolver came out later in the same year as pet sound. So that hadn't been out yet, but, Rubber Soul had been, and that's got a more interesting cover, you know, at least kind of yeah, cool totally cover does, photo, yeah. And, and they certainly, it's Capital, same same label, you know. So, although to be fair, that cover was done by EMI in England, right? Different. Capital it might did. be under the same aegis, so, but you know, Capital put them something. out, but they yeah, didn't actually yeah, yeah. make those decisions. No, cheers so. to Capital Records. Yeah, they clearly didn't know what to do with this album, and because it was too downbeat for them, they just uh, they felt like, oh, what's all this like? Uh, I don't belong in this world kind of crap, you know? Right. And uh, is there a train and some dogs barking? Exactly. Whose names were Banana and Louie. Yeah, I saw, I read that too. Brian Wilson's dogs. Um, <laughs> and so, yeah, they, they completely blew it with the marketing of this. And the biggest hit off of it, uh, I think, was Sloop John B., which was the most traditional Beach Boy sounding song on the record. Mm-hmm. And it, pretty much the worst song on the record. It's I kind think of the lamest. Agree. Yeah. It's just a cover of a, an old Jamaican King, folk song or Bahamian, no, Bahamian I folk song. I, the, the, Kingston the, the Kingston Trio. trio but, that's, but they didn't write it. Oh, they didn't write it. It was already been around for decades. Oh, they just that folk music. It, it I actually, can't with that. Oh, it um, it was actually dated back to the 1920s, apparently. Mm. And it had been covered already by many, many other artists before the Kingston Trio even got to it, but they had a big hit with it. But yeah, I mean, it, it was the least creative. It has some amazing acapella stuff. On oh it. yeah. I there's mean, like one, the lyric, one the, bit in it. That's just the best. The vocal stuff is fantastic. Anyway. So that, that one I think went to number three. Yeah. Number three in May of 66, 
but nothing else came close to being that high on the charts. And God Only Knows, which is an amazing song, mm-hmm. uh, that only got to like number, mm-hmm. number 70 or something like that. It was just ridiculous. Oh, no, 39, sorry. Y'all over there bashing Sloop John B. That was that was my favorite oh, you song liked? on the Oh, album. great. I mean, I love it. I love that song. I just, um, I'm not bashing I think it's at the corniest. All. I, I, yeah. yeah, it's a corny. Yeah. It's, it's uh, the yeah. least. It's, I love it. Like I said, it's, it's the most, I love all the early Beach Boy stuff yeah. for what it is. And I love that in the same way I love those. Mm-hmm. So I'm not saying it's a bad song. It just, it's, yeah. it stands out as an odd, not odd, but just it's stands out as different. Right, not stuff, consistent yeah. with the rest of it, I think. Yeah, and I think, again, that was the record company being like, this is the closest thing. This is on the water. Actually, so we know how to market this. Actually, it's not the record company. It was Al Jardine was a big fan of the Kingston Trio. No, no, no. I just mean releasing it as a single. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, sure, No, I don't sure. mean including it. Sure, like, yeah. whatever, I can get. I, I know, yeah, that he was into it and the, the right. folk music. Right, oh, my right. God, that Kingston Trio version of it, though. Oh. Uh, yeah, it's, yeah. Kingston Trio is not super exciting. The... the <laughs> The gentle maybe, folk but... song music is stuff I cannot. We won't be doing a podcast on the Kingston Trio. Oh, oh we God. we should. Oh. <laughs> Just to... <laughs> guys, you're doing that one without me. I can't even like. Can't I can't even. My period. I would roll my eyes so hard they would fall out of my head. That <laughs> I, I would have a lot of trouble. The worst. It's like way too earnest, you know. Just well, it's not even that, but just like that they're all mm. singing like that at the same time period where all this amazing R and B stuff is going on, and they're just like. I'm so gentle, me and my brother and our haircuts <laughs> with a tiny guitar. I know that song. That's, yeah. That's amazing. <laughs> but it's uh, about but it's about social justice, so that makes it worth listening. No, it doesn't. So, so Pet Sounds peaked at number ten. That that was it should have been much more popular. And album. I hope you you guys will forgive my ignorance, but uh, there's Brian Wilson, Carl Wilson, Dennis Wilson. Yes. Brothers? Three brothers. Yeah. Brothers? And then Mike oh, Love was their cousin. Yeah. So it's, it's definitely a family affair. Yeah. And uh, the other guys in the group are Al Jardine, and, who's a childhood friend of theirs, too. And then Bruce Johnston, who mm-hmm. they brought in later. I think he was brought in to replace Brian on the road when, mm-hmm. when Brian decided to retire from that. It's so weird that the band is like in Japan touring while yeah, Brian well, Wilson is like writing. Well, that's the writing really amazing thing about songs. this. Uh, yeah, he, he did, and not just writing, but most of the recording done, was done with them on the road somewhere else. Mm-hmm. And he does the majority of the vocals on the album for the lead lead vocals. Mm-hmm. And so when they came back, all they had to do was like fill in the backing stuff, yeah. really. And there was and, a bunch of conversations like, what the hell are we supposed to do? Yeah. You know, they were yeah. like mm-hmm. perplexed you know, at first. Well, and Mike Love apparently was kind of not on board with the whole thing. Mm-hmm. He... He had some problems, especially with certain songs, like the uh, the whole "hang on to your ego" thing, which it we'll seems talk like about. it seems he's a prick. But <laughs> <laughs> I was gonna, yeah, he seems like also like a super square. He, uh, you know, like here's Brian Wilson. Like I listened to this amazing thing I wrote, and Mike Wilson, Mike loves like oh drugs, eh? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> no drugs for me. Mike Love That's has always not... been the jerk of the group. I mean, as far as I've ever read. and He does wear a lot of ridiculous hats, which is yeah. a warning sign. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah. here you have Brian Wilson, this, this music genius, his brothers who are great singers and musicians, you know, good enough musicians anyway. And then Mike Love is just like, if it wasn't for the fact his voice works really well with the songs, you know, somebody else could have too. I don't know. I, and but then it, it's so weird too. Whenever they you see shots of them playing live, like he weirdly stands out. Yeah, like he's always dressed differently from them. Yeah. I think he always just wants to set himself apart for some yeah. stupid reason. Like instead he of just, wears all those dumb hats, he never quite wants to buy into the whole <laughs> fact that Brian is the the leader of the group. I think he wants some kind of leadership role, and 
I can only imagine it would be hard to be in a group with someone that yeah. brilliant because yeah. I'm sure that like, you know, you're just like, hey, guys, let's try this thing. And then here's dude who's on just a whole other plane of existence and ideas. Yeah. Right. And for, well, that's the thing. Foresight, you know. Right. And, and as you said, Michael, I think was real square as far as things like drugs and all that. So, mm-hmm. I mean, I am pretty 100 percent certain he's a Republican and. Oh, right, because there's a thing going on in the news right now where mm -hmm. the Beach Boys got booked to play. Oh, yeah, Brian Wilson. That's right. Brian is saying you should not be playing at this thing. Right, him and and the Wilsons. Yeah, and Mike Love is like, like, we're free Americans. We should be able to do whatever we want. And then like the the guest speaker at this event is Donald Trump Jr. Yeah. Um, should we dive into some of the actual songs? Well, yeah, because it opens with like the it. most amazing song and yeah. the most amazing sound. There's just like boom. And, and I've always thought of this as a big hit, but I don't know that it got as high up in the charts as I thought it in had. In my heart, it's the biggest hit. It, it is such a great song. Mm-hmm. It's it's just let's start. Wouldn't it be nice? Mm-hmm. This is just one of the greatest melodies that they ever had. I, I, I love the background too, the wah wah ooh. Yeah. And this is Brian singing lead, and he he had a great great voice. Mm-hmm. He's actually my favorite voice of the Beach Boys in general. So that's the John, the um, Tony Asher part. Like, I wish oh. that every kiss was never yeah, ending yeah. to step on that line. It's yeah. just beautiful. Yeah, nice it's worth it. Here comes Mike Love right here. He's. <laughs> so, Mike Love apparently gets occasional songwriting credits in these because he comes up with these little bits mm-hmm. here and there. And even if it's a line or two, he has to get credit. Love it. You know, maybe this is a case where uh, my own personal appreciation of this music, I, I, it's, they're so talented and there's so much thrown in together that it sounds too simple. Oh, God, there's nothing simple about this. Right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it sounds simple. You know, it's like these guys are surfers and they're singing these songs and they happen to match, you know, the harmonies. No. Uh, it's so orchestrated. It's like, well, yeah, that, well, that's no, I'm just involved. really curious. Keep, 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 keep uh, going. Sorry, I'm right, trying to understand what but, you mean. You know, listening to it and, and hearing y'all's input on this, uh, I'm recognizing how complicated it really is. Mm. You know, those har- harmonies in the background, the wop wop stuff. Mm-hmm, there's so that. much of it. It's really wonderful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, they, they didn't just like, he didn't just give them some words to start singing and they just clicked like that. He was giving them all the different, uh, the, and then that stuff I didn't know the until steps of their, yeah, you ago, sing you at know? this, you sing this and like, you know, and he had them doing, and I think I've, they probably were very familiar with his direction for that kind of stuff. But I think throughout this album, it gets even more complicated than that. Yeah. I'm trying to remember if it was this song or God only knows one of them took like a week. Oh no, this one, like a week. It was this one, the beach boys, 21 yeah, sessions. They, they slaved for days on the backing vocals on this one. And uh, 21 and, takes, that's right. And that was 
because Brian wasn't satisfied with it. Like they just had to keep redoing it. And I guess they figured, well, he's been working for this on this album for months on his own, so we might as well, you know, mm-hmm. give him the benefit of the doubt and just. I mean, and there was some like, of the frustration I was referring to earlier that they were talking about. It's like, golly, come on, man. Mm-hmm. We sang that one already. Two accordionists, <laughs> two drummers, three bassists, three guitarists, four horn players, two pianists, and at least four singers. The so, main riff is two twin accordions. Accordions. Mm-hmm. You don't hear accordions very much mm-hmm. in rock music. No. He used also from an article used by Chris harmonicas Higgins. in weird ways. He had these like bass harmonicas that you mm-hmm. sometimes hear showing up. This weird vibrating sound that like hmm. underscores something else, and you almost don't notice it, but then it's like, oh, that's bizarre. And yeah, there's so many parts going on here vocally, but like the instruments just like only mm-hmm. weird little mm-hmm. sounds. And apparently, he was really into like taking things and making them sound weird. Like he'd open up the piano and like attach things to the strings in tacks. different places. They put tack heads on all of the hammers. I think so that they, when they hit the strings, it would like. Yeah, well, that's what he ended up with. But I think mm-hmm. there was so much experimentation mm-hmm. before they settled on that that he was like tying things to it and like and had another guy in there plucking this the the piano notes and. Well, so, some of the instruments they listed was uh, tin cans, Coca-Cola yeah. cans. Mm-hmm. Coca-Cola bicycle cans. bells, for right. sure. Yeah. Um, that's in um, Sometimes I Fail Very story behind myself. that one, actually. Yeah. So uh, what, th- that song, uh, Wouldn't It Be Nice, I, it's interesting because it's, it's got very, very clean, oh, you know, we're, we're youthful and it's love jo- each other. It's joyful. But there's joyful definitely song. an undercurrent of sex in there because, you know, he's saying, couched in a way that... It was acceptable for radio airplay at the time because it was pretty sensitive to be, mm-hmm. you know, like, you know, it's going to make it that much better when we can say goodnight and stay together. Oh, yeah, of course. You know, yeah. it's like, and or after having spent the day together, hold each other close the whole night through. I mean, that's, you know, it sounds all innocent. But of course, he's getting to the point that, hey, we can Talking do about whatever we want. Doing it. You know? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but they would, it's Sex the Beach Boys. They would not. His lady friend. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe they just want to touch each other. I mean, yeah. Bundling? Just hug? Just hug? Is that all they want to do? Yeah. Yeah, so. <laughs> and again, that's, you know, that's that's where the uh, the jingle writer comes in, to, comes in mm-hmm. handy. Although I, I really have doubts that Brian Wilson would have gotten too raunchy and all on his own anyway, but he was also pretty pretty clean cut when it came to lyrics. Obviously, he had mm-hmm. plenty of practice doing that. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, my God, their whole <laughs> their whole genre whole early yeah. catalogs is study and like fun, clean fun, cut fun. preppy. Yeah. yeah, but uh, something you said when we first got started on this, maybe it, uh, listening with really nice headphones mm-hmm. would make a difference. So I, I could mm-hmm. pick up those, yeah. those uh, subtle, subtle yeah. differences. Yeah. It definitely helps. Yeah, I mean, I listen to it in all different ways mm-hmm. to to get ready to talk with you guys about it, but. I was really surprised, like the the big headphones that where you can really block out sound mm-hmm. even better than earbuds, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. really just sinks yeah. you into the music. Yeah. Hmm. So the the next song on the album, uh, "You Still Believe in Me," it has this weird little choppy edit right at the beginning that mm-hmm. always throws me off just for a moment. Mm-hmm. Like it's a it's a bad I mean, not bad edit. I mean, clearly maybe it's just, but it seemed like maybe the only choice he had to make it. And uh, the first line is so amazing. It's such a universal feeling. I know perfectly well I'm not where I should be. Like yeah. everyone knows that feeling. Yeah. Like I know what I'm capable of. I know what I should be doing and I'm not yeah. there. Yeah. Like incredible. It's an incredible thought. Uh, I, I do have to say though, the rest of the song, I find it to be one of the sappier songs lyrically yeah. on the album. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, it, it definitely doesn't hold as much interest for me, but uh, I, I, musically it does. But um, apparently this was completely a different song initially called In My Childhood. 
And uh, when Tony Asher began collaborating with Brian on it, that's what Brian had been working on it as. But they ended up discarding, actually discarded most of the melody and the lyrics and starting it over and, and keeping some basic form of what he'd recorded already. And they they went wrote the new lyrics for it. But he had recorded a bunch of things like a, chi- a bike bell and a horn, like little stuff that they couldn't remove from the mix because it had already been bounced down. And mm. you know, uh, if you're, for those not familiar with bouncing down tracks, when you have four tracks to record on, which is all they had right. for most of this, um, you once you record something on three of the four tracks, you've got to bounce those, re, you've got to move them down to the fourth Right, so then you can add other tracks. The other yeah, yeah, yeah. So you can keep doing that, but there's only a limited number of times you can do that before you then have to take the whole thing and bounce it to another track of yeah. another four-track It's like recorder. layers in Photoshop. And it gets it degrades the, the sound gradually, and uh, and it also locks you into certain mm-hmm. mixes. And mm-hmm. once you've bounced down something you're really happy with, if there's a sound in there, like a bicycle bell or something that you want to get rid of, you can't. You, you're stuck with it. So that's why at the very end of that song, you hear that bike bell and a horn and it sounds there's so there's bike bell through it is there oh yeah i i'm I, yeah i don't notice until the it's, end no it's through the song well it's it's just ching ching it just comes up it like it stands all the out time. so clearly at the end though mm. and it it's like just sounds so like what's that doing there is otherwise it doesn't bother me at all because uh, I, 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 I like it because it's a it's a recognizable sound and it's like a funny like what? well maybe the bike bell but there's doing? a horn a honk oh honk. a horn is what you're talking yes, about yes maybe it's the horn that is at the end okay because the bell is throughout the song but maybe okay. the horn is just at the end yeah yeah it's the it's like a bike horn like the little child's bike going, honk honk <laughs> yeah. yeah and it's like what nice the rendition, hell though. that doesn't add anything I got that to from the- tig navarro <laughs> she's on conan's podcast it doesn't add anything at the end there and it's like <laughs> why would they bother including that what is the point and and to read that it was they just couldn't remove it made a lot more mm-hmm. sense to me but Maybe some steel drums would have been good. Oh, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. How <laughs> dare you, sir? You bite your tongue. <laughs> just, I just realized it's the same melody as that intro. Which? When he says he wants to cry. Oh, 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 yeah. And goes, that that chop there bothers me. It's like, uh, yeah. it's like it just ends. It doesn't carry through. It doesn't bother me. several things that bother me. Yeah? Here. Like what? What? I, I don't really care for his voice in here. This oh, yeah. It's too, it's too, too false, too much of a falsetto. Something like that. Something like that. It, I, it just doesn't appeal to me. I'll just mm. listen to that. And, and also, I, I don't like harpsichord sounds too much. It's coming up the bell. Hmm. Um, now, l- let me, let me jump to the end here. Oh, you want to uh, hear your horn? Yeah. <laughs> Here it comes. <laughs> what? <laughs> Why is that? There? I hate that. There it is again. It was, yeah, it was though. twice. It appears <laughs> twice. And then one more. Yeah, uh, it's like, wow, that's, that's lame. Um, what you're saying about Brian Wilson's voice in there, I, I he does occasionally overdo the falsetto mm-hmm. thing when he's 
I don't think he's reaching for the notes. He could probably do them some other way, maybe. But occasionally, the falsetto bothers me a bit yeah. too. And you know, that's sort of the way the Beach Boys have always. Yeah. <laughs> there's always that falsetto thing going on for a lot of their stuff. But. What I find fascinating about it is that you can still hear his California accent in the falsetto. Really, I, I think so. That. Like I think his voice. You uh, even when when they he goes that high, you can still hear the way that 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 California. Hmm. It's really strong to me. I guess I'm not really familiar enough with what the California accent is. He is it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's subtle, but it's... Is it's, it when he says perfectly well? No, <laughs> there's there's something in the I don't know, there's something in the vowels or something where you can like mm. see the shape of his head as he's saying them. I think I think I can hear it in people who I know are longtime Californians, but yeah. I, I just I guess I just don't know. In the no, I can totally... So I hear yeah. his accent in it, and it, it like blows my mind that he's singing well, that much. He had Archer in there, because the song started out, like, wouldn't it be nice? Right. And Arch- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's that's not one of my real favorites on the album. Yeah. Um, it, it, sure, I yeah, I wouldn't say that either, yeah, but, yeah. but um, I still enjoy listening to it. Like I, this album kind of also like surprises me all the time when I listen to it because there's so many things in it that in anybody else doing it I would not be into it. The harpsichord and the the bicycle bell and the the style of acapella kind of harmony. Right, because you hate harpsichords. Yes, dislike. many of I the time maybe, I do. Yeah, yes, I'm right with you on that. Yeah, I, I, I like them. But but, I remember you both saying that. Yeah. But I just the this everything fits together so well in these songs that they're just these and and they change so much. You know, they have little. They just turn and turn and turn and turn like a little jewel mm-hmm. spinning slowly yeah. and then there's light on a different surface reflecting on it and then you're like oh now it's this pretty thing and then it turns again and like it never stands long enough on a part that doesn't work well that's even sort of like the, the end the, the horn at the end of that it's like it's turning and suddenly oh there's the horn yeah, and then <laughs> like, it goes away yeah that's a very good analogy <laughs> yeah. I, I like that the uh, the next track that's not me is the only track that was recorded with the beach boys playing the basic instrumentation like everything else, a session musician. I I do want to read one quick thing about oh, sure, sure. about you still believe in me. Yeah, I don't have as good of an understanding of musical composition as you guys do because I don't really like play guitar or anything like that. But I found this bit by um, music critic Jim Fusili. He wrote a book about Pet Sounds, mm. and he's writing about how musically complex and meticulous the songwriting, the musical songwriting is. And so this is his from about you still believe in me. It begins in B major. A key rarely used in pop and remains in B major. The G sharp major chord below the first and only time the word love is invoked in the song is particularly striking. On the second pass, the G sharp major chord hits below the word fail. In a rare example of the bassist emphasizing the root in a Brian Wilson arrangement, Carol Kay hits the G sharp in both instances. It's as if Brian wanted there to be no confusion for the listener. In his mind, at least in this song, love equals failure. Hmm. I mean that's an interpretation, yeah. and but wow, it can it can I, it's completely believable based on what I have heard and read about his the way he oversaw the music on this that he would just hear in his head that that needs some sort of other emphasis and then he like has them just do this one little slight thing and, mm-hmm. and you know obviously I, it's not something I think we would notice Mm-mm. otherwise no I wouldn't notice it you know but if you listen back maybe you say oh yeah every time he says love mm-hmm. it's just a little different it's yeah. That's pretty cool. Well, and also it tells you that like if you really want to dig into this record, you can just keep oh, digging and digging right. and digging you and could. digging. It's like trying to read Hamlet. It just keeps going and, and going I, and going. I think that's part of its legend in a way is that it's just so complex that you can get things out of it forever. Um, the next song, uh, That's Not Me, is the, the the one that 
the, the Beach Boys themselves played the actual basic track instrumentally. Um, usually their musicianship wasn't by any means at the level of the session musicians who were playing the Wrecking Crew. Um, but he left that one in. But it's also the interesting thing is that the it's the only song that doesn't have strings, horns, or woodwinds. There's no orchestral stuff in it at all, mm. which uh, I did, it did not jump out at me until hmm. that, that was brought to my attention, something I read. But uh, I'm going to play a little bit of that. So musically, it harkens back more to the earlier stuff. Mm-hmm. It even has that kind of sound to it, melodically. I really like the feel of the song overall. Mm-hmm. Also, it sounds like it was that Phil Spector double yes. bass situation where it's yes. electric bass and stand-up bass. Right. And the drum too is like a timpani kind of thing going on. They do that a lot in this yeah. record, the yeah. timpani. A little bit there is like a little sadness there and that just like that. this line. The shift they go yeah. up for that song. Really lets the emotions sink in. And it just like emphasizes and It never really quite picks up in tempo. It just kind of moves along at the same speed, but it's got a lot of things going on, so it never really feels like it's lagging or something in interest, but for me anyway. And maybe he does it intentionally, and, you know, <clears throat> I can assume, I think we can assume. Most of the stuff in here is intentional, intentional I, I think so, yeah. Very uh, little. But and, when he, that's not, or uh, um, I Miss My Home or something like that, yeah. I forget what line it is, but he, he kind of sounds a little flat on some of those. Yeah. And maybe that. Is, is a means well, of invoking the, the, the sadness. Yeah. yeah, well, that's what I was thinking, like the the, the city, and then he kind yeah. of drags that. And then there's that little instrumental thing in the back that kind of underscores like a sad emotion mm-hmm. of, of missing, you know, melancholy mm-hmm. or something. And on the next song, uh, I, I want to point this one out in particular because uh, it's one of two songs on the album where the Beach Boys do not appear. It's just Brian Wilson singing. There's no backing vocals, and it's a great song. One of the prettier melodies on the on wait, the record. Wait, that's not me. No, don't talk. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, don't talk. I, I, don't talk I, is. I was pretty fond of that song. Yeah, it's, well, it's one. Of, I think it's one of the prettier melodies on there. Mm-hmm. Um, the line I can hear so much in your size, I can see so much in your eyes. Mm. Brian gets to handle this one all on his own, and uh, put your head on my shoulder. Apparently, this was. Uh, I think Tony Asher had a little trouble or they together maybe had a little trouble trying to express the nonverbal. Like he was going for like the, the nonverbal aspect of love and just uh, tricky for them, but they, I think they succeeded quite well. And really interesting introduction to him. Mm-hmm. Very like church organ almost like. <laughs> But like, here's where you would expect. The bass is like a beating heart. Oh, yes, yes, yeah. 
here's where you would expect to hear some like Beach Boys harmonies in the background on most other songs, mm. like soaring in the back or something, but it's just so quiet. Strings are so beautiful. Oh, just achingly beautiful. Yeah, yeah. That's just uh, completely like just chamber chamber music in pop form, and a, a lot of this album uh, is often credited with uh, sort of the the beginnings of what came, came to be known as like uh, chamber pop or orchestral pop. There's like this whole subgenre of very orchestrated. Um, uh, it, it was sort of an indie rock phenomenon in the, the 80s and 90s. And before that and before this, I mean, you had like, you know, there's Yesterday with lots of strings on it. Mm-hmm. Like the yeah, George before, Martin was super into that. Right. And uh, but the Beatles hadn't done so much with it yet. Like they hadn't gotten a Sgt. Pepper and other stuff. So this was still kind of a a newer phenomenon, I think, and he just did extremely well. So. Well, this is, was this, would we say this is the first time of someone treating the recording studio like it was an instrument in itself? Uh, possibly. I think George Martin did that himself in a way, mm-hmm. like for the Beatles. I mean, like he, he brought that frame of mind, I think, to their recording probably a little before this too, but, but it's not, a different, not as much. If it's but a it's different a, thing if he's the one producing it versus, well, you versus say, Brian Wilson, like singing in it, playing in it, writing it. I, well, then I would have to say Phil Spector probably had Phil already Spector. done that. So, because yeah. he did that in the early earlier sixties. Yeah. So, what what do you mean using the recording studio as an instrument? Well, it's like it's like instead of thinking about I'm going to write a song with a piano and a guitar and a bass, it's like thinking about all of that together as one thing. Which More I like mean, an orchestra conductor. All right. 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 But the way that's different than just saying it's like an orchestra playing is that you're actually using a studio equipment to enhance that in a way like bringing in different effects or um and being able to chop up and edit things differently than you would if you were playing live and um and like really specialize certain aspects of it because you can separate the the tracks and the parts that people are doing right to really do very specific stuff right so you're not just like recording something live and maybe adding another live part to it you're doing stuff with the equipment you've got Back then, of course, they're not doing it digitally. They're doing like actually <laughs> chopping the tape into bits and taping it together, and you know, so wow. much more complicated and time-consuming and hit or miss to some degree. And obviously, you could destroy your <laughs> your thing, but <laughs> I, I guess the tapes work pretty well for that because you never hear. Well, they probably had it dialed into a science. Yeah, because yeah. yeah, 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 exactly. you know, like to us, it seems like meticulous and and yeah. and time-consuming and like ridiculous, but. That's all they knew. So right. of course, was, the people doing it, they knew right. what they were doing. That was the job of the recording engineer. I think right. was mainly what they were there for. Like Jeff Emmerich uh, for the Beatles, like he was worked hand in hand with George Martin to actually do the hands-on 
manipulation of tape and things like that. It's just like how, you know, book and page layout and newspaper layout used to use like paste up and stuff where you'd have one guy that would do headlines. And you actually, and and there are times when you actually tape up the articles onto the page and photograph Mm -hmm. your the page and, and then there was a waxer i don't know what they did but they, there was someone in there doing something with wax i think that was a different profession nope know. no waxing that was a pre-production thing in printing it's a joke oh well it clearly uh, was a bad joke because i didn't get it i got it anyway. <laughs> so i'm waiting for the day i love the sentiment of this song i find really interesting as a love song it's kind of a beautiful idea mm-hmm. making a song about this being in love with someone and waiting for them and like recognizing where they are in their process and not, you know? Yeah. I mean, it's actually, it turns out that one's one of the oldest songs on the album as far as when he wrote it. Like mm. He wrote it two years before apparently and, and, mm. and was trying to figure out another song to include and he dug into his back catalog, so to speak. And, um, he apparently, Brian dislikes it the most of all the songs or likes it the least, maybe mm. is the best way to put it. But, um, he doesn't like his singing on it so much, but I think mm. the singing sounds very nice on it. Mm. It's one of the songs I like the least on the. Oh album. really? Yeah. Oh, that's fine. There's some good background vocals in there though. It, it didn't. It wasn't one of the real standouts for me. But I like the doo-wop style of it. I'm into that '60s girl group doo-wop kind yeah. of vibe. Oh, sometimes that's, I love that's that amazing, stuff. Yeah. I know Brian Wilson liked it too. Mm. The next thing is an instrumental. Mm-hmm. Let's go away for a while. And apparently, uh, in 1967, Brian said, and I quote, I think that the track Let's Go Away For A While is the most satisfying piece of music I've mm-hmm. ever made. I applied a certain set of dynamics throughout the arrangement and the mixing and got a full musical extension of what I'd planned during the earliest stages of the theme. The track was supposed to be backing for a vocal, but I decided to leave it alone. It stands up well on its own. And I actually think it sounds great. It's like one of the best sounding tracks on the record. Mm-hmm as far as sound quality goes. And I think that's because you don't have the vocals. So you have less things to bounce around and degrade the, a lot of the other songs on this album, because of that bouncing, they they sound more compressed to me. Sure. You know, and this one doesn't sound that compressed. Mm. It sounds more open. And I think that's part of it. Obviously, there are a lot of instruments on it anyway, but... Let's hear what you mean by that. Yeah. Ooh, can I just, before? Sure. For me, normally, instrumentals feel kind of like throwaways on records. Like, I'm not really into them, and I'll skip through them. But this this song is just like a pristine pop symphony. It sounds completely of its time, like in the 60s, but it ebbs and flows so interestingly. To me, it's like the sonic equivalent of being inside of a waterfall. Thought-provoking, meditative, hypnotic, and full of little shiny bursts that catch and distract your eyes like light on water. I, that that's great. A great description of it. Also, I like at minute one thirty two. It you hear God <laughs> only knows like that he play like the, oh is there a theme he hits from the melody the... of it just uh, right there. Well, nice. let's, let's let's start and listen for that. This sounds like it could be on one of those cocktail music uh, compilations that were popular in the nineties. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I'm talking about? The mm-hmm. Combustible Edison. Are you familiar with them? Mm-hmm. They obviously idolize this kind of stuff. I think I see what you mean by the less compressed or something. That something sounds perhaps. much more open. Like the instruments sound more present, uh-huh. like in the mix. Crisp. And, yeah. And I feel like it saves itself from being too saccharine, too sweet, because there's a melancholy aspect to it still, mm-hmm. yeah. which makes it feel just like you can keep listening to it and you're not like, meh, strings, mm-hmm. meh. 
I could nap to this song. <laughs> I think we're coming up to the part you're talking about. Are we already passing? Instrumentals are definitely a hit or miss proposition much of the time. And I mean, in the midst of other non instrumental music, obviously, if you're listening to an album for that, that's a whole different deal. But what are you uh, trying to say? I, I, I think, I don't know, instrumentals, they often come with like a little baggage attached, like, hey, listen to how great yeah, this yeah. melody yeah, is. Yeah, it feels you know? kind of narcissistic or you get to feels a little they include it. Congratulatory yeah. or something, you know, sometimes. But in this case, it, it's worth it. It's well, yeah. really it's short, too. Yeah. As I was listening to the albums, I was always looking forward to the songs. Mm. Like taking a break. From well, because you're not <laughs> right, because you're not such a fan of their higher pitched stuff or whatever. <clears throat> fair, fair enough, I guess. And then we go straight into Sloop John, John B, yeah. which is such a change of pace. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's very different. Um, and it's the last song on side one, I believe. So they end on that note. Yeah. Um, it always bugged me though, like. Um, how, like it's the fourth line of the song where he says drinking all night, and I always like every time I hear the song that line comes in, and I'm like, no, I, I'm, I'll be singing along with it because I did when I was a kid a ton, and then I'm I'm never like, no, this isn't the, th- I'm never ready for the drinking all night line because I'm like, that's not the first first line. It should be later in the song. Like it sounds so sweet and like <laughs> cheery, and then like four lines in, they're like drinking all night. Like already we're in there. Like yeah. it just it always feels like a jarring like. It should be later that the drinking starts. Like, we've got to get into the voyage a little bit, but oh, nope, here we are. And drinking all night, got into a fight. Yeah, yeah. And it's the beach voyage. It's hard to picture them getting into fights, really. Yeah. But, yeah. Like, Stop it. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, brothers just slap fighting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, oh, it's one about the, uh, this is the worst trip I've ever been on. Mm-hmm. It, Which it, could be druggy. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't, it wasn't phrased that way in the original Although there are many versions of the song because it's such an old song, the lyrics get changed all the time. But, mm. but traditionally, that was not that was their own addition, and people did read a little bit into it about drugs. I do like. There's a moment at like 150 where they do like a little acapella bit that mm-hmm. like is really hot. Oh, it is amazing. Yeah, yeah, and then it's just quick, and, and then it goes back to the song, and, and they do this round mm-hmm. thing, which yeah. you know, and it's really, really good yeah, like super great. So then we start off. Ugh. What would be what would be side two on vinyl mm-hmm. um, with "God Only Knows," which is one of the greatest songs ever written in the history of pop music. In the history of everything, and it's the only song on the album that Carl sings lead, and he's got this beautiful voice. He's kind of like mm. the Art Garfunkel of the group, uh, <laughs> like more angelic tones. And apparently, Brian wanted him to sing it because. Carl, as a person, had the tenderness and sweetness, and that's in quotes, uh, in himself that he felt was required to sing the song <laughs> appropriately. Wow. So he was like really thinking that's on that kind of level. Crazy person talk. Yeah, he was thinking on that kind of level. Like, like, okay, I, I don't know if I can communicate it as well as I need to, and so he wanted Carl to. And also, the this most beautiful love song starts with the line, "I may not always love you." Yeah. Oh, just heartbreaking. Which, which, in a way, it's. A little confused. It always was a little confusing to me hearing yeah. that. Uh, like, I may not always love you, but as long as there are stars above you, yeah. you never need to doubt it. I mean, yeah. like, it, it sounds like he's saying, 
I'll always love you. But then again, he's saying, I may not always love you, right. but. Yeah, so or he's like, he's saying, uh, I love you, but I know that inherently everything ends. Right. You know? It's like, hmm, yeah. you know, I love you, but it's limited to the amount of time the earth exists. Right. You know, so. So I'm, I'm telling you, I care about you <laughs> in the deepest way possible, yeah. in the most beautiful way possible but in the second i'm telling you this i'm also telling you that it's going to end and we're all going to die eventually <laughs> incredible <laughs> That's encapsulation kind of, yeah. right? right in one line exactly. like boom and and then in the second major verse there are really only two verses in the song because he repeats the first mm-hmm. one again mm-hmm. later uh or repeats the second actually if you should ever leave me well life would still go on believe right. me the world would could show nothing to me so what good would living do me mm-hmm. And so, again, there's a little bit of mixed message there if you think about it too much because, well, you know, life would still go on. You know, believe me, it would. You know. But it's, true. but it's more like he's trying to convince himself that it would go on because then he's realizing, well, but what good would it be to be alive? And I mean, it's real, too. You know, you can love someone so much it feels like you can't breathe without them and then it ends yeah. and you don't die. But man, is the end rough. Yeah. I, I mean, I really do consider this the true masterpiece on the album. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, of all the great bits and pieces on this record, this is the one that really just, he nailed it. And apparently the the fact that they even had God in the title was controversial because at the time that was just not done unless you were like, God bless America or something. Mm. You know? uh, and they, they, they struggled with that, whether they should have it be something else, but they ultimately decided it really, the meaning needed it to be, mm. to be in there. It's never, that's never tripped me up at all because i always felt like it was just a colloquial you know god only knows it's just such a colloquial phrase it doesn't feel to me right religion related but no it never did to me either really i mean maybe it occurred to me but and i think nowadays that certainly doesn't it's not a thing you know but at the time it was you know 66 it was still a thing Mm -hmm. but at the end of the song uh they they go into these rounds Mm. and it's just perfect like just Mm -hmm. the overlapping repeated phrases and the intro is so cool too. It's this weird harmonica, and this is the, the the bass harmonica I was talking about. It's like harmonica and French horn together, mm-hmm. and it's just the weirdest thing when you think about it like that. But it just works so perfectly. I, you know, you, you almost don't really, you certainly don't think, oh, that's a harmonica, but it's just the sound. Well, I'm going to start the song. Yeah, I'd like to hear that with that, that yeah. in mind. That that. that mm-hmm. That thing underlying it, that's a harmonica there. And Carl's singing is just so good on this. So pure. I am really fond of that chorus. Song so frequently gives me shivers just because it's so beautiful. And that part right there, 
apparently they tried to make it work as a more smooth thing, but it just wasn't working. They worked so hard, mm-hmm. and he finally got the staccato thing. Mm-hmm. Dun, 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 dun. That was the only way he could get it to work, the way he imagined it. And, and it doesn't sound out of place. It just yeah, it was it, a suggestion of one of the, yeah. the Wrecking Crew guys. I think Carl is better able to get to those higher notes without the, the falsetto than Brian does. Brian often has to get a falsetto, or, or does. I don't know if he has to, but so that's not quite falsetto. Dude. So here's where they start doing that round mm-hmm. kind of thing. It's just beautiful. And apparently at one point he had all these voices in there he brought in like these, there were two women in there that were friends of the family or something and and apparently it just got too cluttered so they stripped it back until it ended up just being Carl Wilson and Al Jardine actually Bruce Johnson was the other voice and it's much more effective that well that was pretty much the whole song uh, <laughs> yeah I'll make you so sure about it. Beautiful. I'm such a, like a sloppy, like just sappy romantic. And this just like gets me in all the heartstring places. Literal heartstrings, I think is what those should be called on that song. So Eric, did you like that song as much as we do? I I did like that song. There's, there's, there's uh, still some of the voice stuff that I struggle with, (laughs) but the, the harmonies in there are really nice. Yeah. And, and uh, I like the, uh, the rounds in there too. Doesn't move you to tears every time you hear it, like it does for me. (laughs) (laughs) Sad that you didn't cry. (laughs) I must be missing something in my soul. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, melting vocals. Melting vocals. That's what I wrote about that. Buttery melting vocals, Mm. like silken ice cream on your ears. I curl. Yeah, so tender. It's like ice cream. Yeah. Vocal ice cream. Yeah. <laughs> what flavor? Probably um, vanilla, let's be honest. <laughs> yeah, I guess. But vanilla ice cream, I've I've learned, is Beautiful delicious. Mm-hmm. I was very like, eh, vanilla, meh. But, but it's vanilla with man. all the accompaniments in the musical accompaniments. Okay, anyway. I know there's an answer. Mm-hmm. Is not a bad song, but I really prefer the hang on to your ego version of it that appears on the extra tracks here at bonus tracks and and actually um frank black of the pixies did a cover of hang on to your ego mm. on one of his solo albums mm-hmm. and I, I think he chose that because it's more interesting kind of more interesting vo- uh, lyrics i think it's just and apparently mike love didn't like it because it seemed too much like a drug related mm-hmm. thing because hang on to drugs. your ego i don't like a, anything to do with drugs yeah apparently brian had done some lsd and it like opened him up <laughs> some, to this idea that like you could lose your ego and just you know let it melt away or something and and if, if you're not careful you might lose yourself and i don't know and it's kind of cool the way he encapsulated then his lyrics for that version of it but mike love said no that is too trippy man and we're not doing <laughs> that <you know? laughs> i'm not getting into that crap he that wouldn't sing square. it he kind of re- refused to sing it so um apparently al jardine recalled that the decision to change the lyrics was ultimately Brian's. He's said, he said, Brian was very concerned. He wanted to know what we thought about it. 
to be honest, I don't think we even knew what an ego was. <laughs> Although he says that we learned during the recording of this yeah, song. But yeah, exactly. We figured it out. Uh, <laughs> and finally, Brian decided, forget it. I'm changing the lyrics. There's too much controversy. So he just said, you know what? I'll just redo this. I don't want to deal with all this. You know, it's still not a bad uh, lyrically, but it's it's maybe a little less interesting, I think. Um, but it's a great song melodically. Oh, also, the line about the people isolating their heads and staying in their safety zones mm-hmm. is a really upsettingly poignant line to the world today. Yes, mm. actually, yeah. It's very yes, the world very of the Twitter trenches. Yep. And he does know there's an answer. I, I wish he would tell us what it was because... <laughs> well, he says you have to find it for yourself. Yes. That's the yes. answer. That's true. The journey is the answer, yeah. Dave. Oh. And done with the recording. <laughs> Mic drop. <laughs> no. On here today, I really, I love this this song a lot. The way it sort of kicks into gear after 20 seconds of kind of the the, the way the chorus kicks in, it's, which isn't always the case with the, the way he writes songs. Sometimes he'll just sort of keep the tempo the same and do lots of musical things, but it sort of feels like it picks up a speed and momentum sort of. And it's got this great bass line, Carol Kay again. Mm-hmm. Um, and apparently it was the last song that he wrote for the album. Uh, and oh, there's uh, one little interesting tidbit. Apparently, uh, if you listen closely, yeah, there's during, people during talking the in the background. Bridge, there's Bruce Johnson and a photographer talking about cameras. <laughs> and another uh, moments later, Brian says, "Top, please," to the engineer, you know, which is the signal to rewind the recording. And they left that stuff in there. And and apparently, it was even worse when he first delivered the tapes to. Capitol Records because he did this mix down of the final album really quickly. Like he spent months on this album and then he does the mix down one day and got really sloppy with it apparently. And so there's all this chatter in the studio. So they had to remove all that. Um, but they left this little bit in and you, you really, you can't even hear it uh, if you're not paying close attention. But if you have headphones on, you, mm-hmm. you definitely can't quite hear what it's they're so saying. It's strange but. to spend that much time on something and then do yeah. that last step so fast. Yeah, a little sloppy. I mean, yeah. when he's sloppy is not even in his vocabulary for yeah, the rest weird. of this album. So. I mean, he must just have been burnt. Like, oh man, I'm just so done with yeah. this. Yeah, like, well, no, I mean, just also like tapped yeah. out creatively. Well, I, I have a quote here from a session musician, Steve Douglas, who apparently was a producer at Capitol at the time, but he said it was mixed down in a single nine-hour marathon session and he says, I remember when Brian turned in Pet Sounds. Uh, I was working at it as a producer at Capitol. It was full of noise. You could hear him talking in the background. It was really sloppy. He'd spend all this time making the album and zip, dubbed it down in one day or something like that. <laughs> yeah. Strange. I do really like the, um, the monosyllabic, I guess the verse or the chorus, where all the words on it have one syllable. Makes you feel so bad. Makes your heart feel sad. Makes your days go wrong. Makes mm-hmm. your nights go long. It's just really fun. When I like when songs do that, when they have and little that- sections where it's just like, Word note, word note, yeah. word note, and, and that feels definitely like it was probably Tony Asher influencing the the mm, word choices mm-hmm. a lot mm-hmm. in that one. Mm-hmm. Just like um, I'm gonna play it. It starts with just a little glance now. Right away, you're thinking about romance now. I think the vocals kick in here much faster than most other songs. There's no instrumental lead-in, really. and here's where I'm talking about picking up my speed. Eric, do you like Mike Love's voice? This is Mike Love singing. Do you like his voice better? Uh, honestly, I can't tell him all apart. You can't? Yeah. 
he he doesn't go high like what I think. Imagine you're yeah. in trouble with. Yeah, I see what you mean. Boom, boom. I love it. How it starts back to that. Mm-hmm. The transition there mm-hmm. back to the beginning is yeah. perfect. There was a horn at the beginning of that song. It was just like this, the the tuba sounds playing under the entire thing. I I really thought it was a nice touch. Yeah. Yeah, it's cool when he gets the bass out of other instruments Mm -hmm. than just the bass, too. The I Just Wasn't Made for These Times is, uh, this is like classic Brian Mm -hmm. introspective, Mm -hmm. probably his most personal song ever. And uh, I think... Truly, reflection of how he felt, just being out of place and not fitting in in this this world. And apparently, it's the one where Tony Asher had a lot of trouble helping him write it because it wasn't it wasn't something he personally had ever mm-hmm. had trouble with. Couldn't relate to that <laughs> general relate. societal malaise. Yes, exactly. And uh, so it took a lot of work to get these lyrics right. I really like the background vocals when um, they sing. Sometimes I feel very sad, and in the background, there's like the little more pizzicato vocal mm-hmm. saying can't find nothing to put my heart and soul into I like that part a lot yeah. um originally they had uh, apparently brian wanted dennis to sing this one uh, and i'm not really sure what dennis uh, actually there's this dennis wilson solo album that is, is actually quite good but that wasn't really known for being a singer i'm glad he didn't include him on this one but um, this also has the possibly the first use of a theremin on a rock record. Yeah, which I think is a crazy yeah. thing too, with the yeah. way their vocals work at all. Yeah, the idea of putting a theremin on the record like blows yeah. my mind. Yeah. Like you're, a theremin term? is like the it's it's a it's, like it's a, a box uh-huh. with a, a like a metal uh-huh. wire thing like an antenna sort of sticking up, and as you bring your hands close to it, it it changes the it just it's making this high pitched sound, and as you bring your hands closer, it changes the the electrical field uh-huh. around it or something, and it changes the Interesting. It's, it's like very, a sci-fi kind of sound. Yeah, yeah, yes, yeah. very much. And and it's hard to get real music out of it, but it's really cool for sound effects and stuff. Uh-huh. And it's used much more in Good Vibrations, which mm-hmm. he um he he did Good Vibrations as originally as a song for this record, but mm-hmm. then um didn't feel like it was ready to go. Bummer. That would have been a great addition yeah. to this yeah. record. And and you can see the end result of Good Vibrations. It's one of the most complex pop songs ever, and. He put a light, but like six more months of work into that after this was done. Mm. And anyway, but the theremin was a big part of that one. A theremin? Theremin. T-H-E-R-E-M-I-N. And it's mm-hmm. Dr. Theremin was the inventor right. of the thing. Tom and Waits the, uses them. Yeah. That doesn't surprise me. Right. Um, Brian Wilson said about this one, this is from the liner notes. It's about a guy who was crying out because he thought he was too advanced and that he'd eventually have to leave people behind. <laughs> All my friends thought I was crazy to do pet sounds. Well, it, he has the, this one one verse that sounds very much like it's referring directly to the recording of Pet Sounds. Um, Every time I get the inspiration to go change things around, no one wants to help me look for places where new things can, might be found. Mm. Where can I turn when my fair weather friends cop out? What's it all about? Mm-hmm. It's like, wow. It's a little cry for, come on, people. <laughs> help me out here. But also it must yeah. have been but, 
like being in the room with him, like chopping and redirecting and and trying to get to a place. I can't imagine it was a it was a oh. walk in the park every day. No, I like took a lot of patience. I'm sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's play a little bit of that. Mm-hmm. You play the end with the theremin. Oh, I'll jump to that in a minute. Okay. It's one of the parts, one of the parts that he actually like. It's a real like, forces his voice and there's to that a different level. Clip cloppy percussion again. Yep, so weird. it's an odd choice. Yeah. And then. That, that that's, that's fantastic. Mm-hmm. I guess I just wasn't made for these times. I mean, they're already singing like theremins. It's crazy that then they're like, let's put this weird guy in here. Okay, I'm going to skip ahead to the end there to see that theremin. I think it's right at the fade out. Or it's pretty close to that, yeah. I didn't write the time signature this time. Yeah. Oh, there it is. I'm going to go back and do it a little bit. Just sounds like something singing almost, but it's not. It's like doing this. Yeah. And if they're, yeah, if they're in the studio, it's got this long, like antenna basically sticking up and someone's just waving their hands around it. That's cool. Yeah. It's really cool. (laughs) It must have seemed like magical. Right. But they didn't have back then. They didn't have synthesizers. Those weren't invented until later. The mood. The, the Moog synthesizer was really the first one that was used, and that wasn't quite hmm. at that point yet. That's kind of yeah. cool. It looked mm. like some sort of magical instrument. Mm-hmm. The the next one is the uh, the other instrumental, which less interesting. Apparently, it was he wanted it to be the James Bond theme. Right. Oh, yeah, right. and it was originally called Run, James, Run. <laughs> I don't know, Brian. And, and he wanted to submit it to them, but he thought, oh, they'll never pay attention to right. it. Like, that's his... Like, his oh, yeah, sorry. And and, and uh, apparently he uh, just did figure it wouldn't happen, so he just put it on the album. Um, I do. What I do love about this instrumental, though, is that it sounds to me a lot like the soundtrack to a movie I love called CQ, mm. which was made yeah. in the early two thousands, and it's like a uh, the it's like a set in Paris in the sixties, and they're making a sci fi movie. It's about the making of a sci fi mm-hmm. movie in Paris in the sixties, and the whole soundtrack, which is kind of like sounds a lot like Air. Right. Um, yeah, yeah. Like really spacey, chill lounge music. Mm-hmm. It just sounds like that. This Pet Sounds instrumental was like the seed of all of yeah. that style of music, which is crazy. Maybe it was. And it, we arrive at the last song in the album, Ugh. which is such an amazing song, too. Yeah. I think, besides God Only Knows, it's definitely my favorite. Uh, just a beautiful, beautiful song. And I remember hearing at some point that, like, this is what inspired John Lennon to write Julia. Oh, I thought, but I couldn't. I didn't, didn't find back up to prove this, but I had heard yeah. it at some point mm-hmm. on the White Album. Apparently, uh, it, Brian considers it one of the most, the prettiest and most personal songs he ever wrote. 
And it, apparently it started with him telling Tony Asher about a high school crush who he was thinking if he saw her today, she might have lost some of that magic about her. Yeah, the liner um, notes, Asher says, Brian was saddened to see how sweet little girls turned out to be kind of bitchy, hardened adults. <laughs> Does he say that? That's what that? the liner notes uh, say. I didn't read that particular word for word. phrasing. Uh, yeah. It's, it's, yeah, that, that doesn't really lend itself to the yeah, sounds I wanna, like a faces thing. I know, I want to get like angry about it, but I'm like, well, that actually does happen. <laughs> <laughs> for everybody. Lots of people turn fair. into bitchy adults. Yeah, exactly. Um, and, and, and he also was slightly bit bemoaning his own lost innocence at his ripe old age of 23 when he wrote this. He was 23? Uh-huh. Whoa. This whole thing, he, he did Pet Sounds when he was 23 oh 24. Oh my God. It was, it was done by the time he was 24. Oh my God. I know. Oh, I feel Isn't, like I know. I've done What have we done you, with our yeah. lives? Like, <laughs> exactly. I, you know, that. Oh, whenever man. I think about the Beatles and realize they broke up when they were 30, it's like, yeah. what the... Well, I'm but it also gonna, gives you... I think about other things that give me hope that like Vera Wang designed her first yes. dress when she was 40. Right, right. Stan Lee came up with Spider-Man when he was 40. Yeah, there are know? examples that make you feel a little better about yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 23. I know. Nuts. Ugh. So apparently, it's kind of interesting too, when when, when Peter, uh, Peter Asher, um, Tony. Tony Asher first presented this, the lyrics to Brian, he was searching along with the music Brian had, and he said, he was actually saying, oh, Carol, I know... Brian misheard it as, oh, Caroline, no. And when he did that, Tony realized, wow, that's a lot more interesting. And he took that and they rewrote some of it and, mm-hmm. and turned it. Because then he says, oh, Caroline, you. Mm-hmm. Oh, Caroline, why? Mm-hmm. You know, and so it's, it was very interesting yeah. that the, the root of it was something else. And, huh. and the opening beat of the song is uh, Hal Blaine playing an upside down water bottle. Yeah, it's uh, sparkling uh, water bottle. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> A lot of interesting stuff going on throughout the song. Yeah, and this is the so song beautiful. that starts with train sounds and ends with train sounds. No, it doesn't start with it. It ends with it. Yeah, and it's not part of the song. It? Actually, that was just added to the end of the album. Oh, was it? Uh, it's not on the single of the song. It just and, ended as a song. And weirdly, like that train sound wasn't recorded outside. It was just taken from a soundtrack record. Yeah, sound effects. It's, um, yeah. But with his own dogs, Banana and Louie. It's, it's train number 58, the owl, speeding at 70 <laughs> miles an hour through Edison, California. Uh, <laughs> FYI, well, that's some detail right there. Um, I wrote a note on that one, song just for you, Dave. <laughs> one other very interesting thing about the song is that it was released under the name Brian Wilson. It was a solo release because he did everything. It's another one, the other one that the Beach Boys don't appear on anywhere. And he actually, he was the one pushing for that. He he said, "Let's release this as a Brian Wilson single." I'm not quite sure why, but because his name. At the time, was not a household name. It didn't do very well. Um, if it had Beach Boys attached to it, it might have done mm-hmm. better. But he also sped knows? the track up by one semitone to yes. make his voice sound younger. His father apparently mm-hmm. recommended mm-hmm. that, yeah, <laughs> because it was. I guess he sounded a little too down a bit. So there was that suggestion to like kind of up the po- the positive energy of the song slightly. <laughs> but I let, let's let's play it. I just I love this song. Is that water bottle? With the wood block on it.
God. It's so beautiful right there. I feel like in this song, Brian is emulating Carl's singing mm. a bit. He sounds more like Carl than he usually does. And like God only knows. I've sung to this song so many times in my life. I think that ends the album on such a beautiful note. I think it's mm-hmm. it was probably be hard. I mean, I imagine it was hard to to choose how to finish mm-hmm. it, you know, but somehow that, that really seems fitting. Good choice. Well done, Brian. I, this, I'm so surprised, like, listening to it. So I started listening to it to get into it, and I just, like, I got to this point where I didn't want to turn it off. Like, and it's not that I wanted to concentrate only on it. I just wanted the sound of it in my ears mm-hmm. the whole time. And I think it completely transcends the sum of its parts, like if you told me that I would love an album full of acapella singing, flutes, timpani, drums, strings, water bottles, water, well, the water bottles <laughs> I'd be down for. I like weird percussion. Sure. Um, but each song is this amazing, insanely complex landscape of little deeply musical sections somehow rendered still with like a light and tender touch, despite how many people were in the room. And it sounds dated and timeless at the same time. Well, there's definitely, there is an element of being dated. Definitely. There's, mm-hmm. and I think that's a lot to do with the recording quality but yeah, timeless definitely. It's, mm. uh, because of the way it was, those those lyrics were written, it can apply it to anybody at any time, and there's nothing tying it to the '60s, and it's beautiful. Eric, would you? Uh, <laughs> you're, you're hesitant to say anything negative about it, I think, because we're so rapturous about. It. You could be negative, whatever. Feel free. No, I don't. I don't Subjective, feel bad about, man. Too bad about being negative about it. I, I think uh, I'm I'm questioning my appreciation for it at the same time. There's so much good music out there that, that I feel is good music that I do appreciate without having, feel guilty about not like without that, having but. to put any effort into it. And this, you know, this is this is gonna this would be some work for me to like put some effort into develop an appreciation for like fine wine, perhaps. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. and there's yeah. nothing wrong with that. It's just I'm not there. You know. Mm. Well, I mean, there's definitely uh, like albums that, or just music in general that you hear, like people just rave about, and you first you're not getting it and you think well it's gotta mm. be something to it so you mm. really right. make yourself listen to it more and more but if at some point if it doesn't yeah. catch you it's just personal taste and yeah. you know you can't just, don't feel guilty about it obviously but we're we're made up of so many billions of little weird things that have made us who we are emotionally and like music is incredibly emotional and if it strikes so the wrong chord it just yeah. strikes the wrong chord and like it's okay. It's fast. It's a fascinating it's subject, it's actually. Harpsy chord. Yeah. <laughs> Harpsy chord. <laughs> 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 wow, wow. I guess we better end on that now. <laughs> <laughs> All right.